Welcome to Joy's podcast series, Live Curiously. My name is David Helquist. Born in Sweden, I've lived in London for almost 20 years, working with a wide array of magazines and newspapers as a writer, editor and stylist. Over the last few years, I've also been running Document Studios. As a creative content agency, we work with global brands and alternative storytelling. Having collaborated with Joyce in the past, they now kindly asked me to explore fashion, culture and the people who continue to inspire us through this podcast series. Over the course, I will meet some of London's most creative minds working in fashion, music, media and sportswear today to find out how they have managed to stay curious throughout their careers. First up is Jonathan Anderson, founder of JW Anderson. As one of the capital's standout design talents, he's helped make London a byword for thrilling and cutting-edge fashion ever since launching his first menswear collection back in 2008. Over the last 10 years or so, after quickly adding women's wear to his repertoire, he's carved out a reputation for himself as a daring designer prone to challenging cuts and complex silhouettes. As a consequence, Jonathan was the first designer to be awarded both Women's and Men's Designer of the Year at the British Fashion Awards in 2015. Except for his own brand, Jonathan has also been creative director of the LVMH-owned Loewe imprint since 2013. Through JW Anderson, he celebrated Loewe collections and several high-profile collaborations with the likes of Converse and Uniqlo. Jonathan is now a bona fide fashion royalty and, more importantly, consumers all over the world are now on a first-name basis with him. So, born in the mid-80s and growing up in Northern Ireland, how did you discover fashion? How did I discover fashion? Um, well, I grew up in Derry, in the north of Ireland, at the end of the 80s. And it was kind of an interesting moment, let's say, in, in Ireland at that point. Politically it, or Politically, culturally? it was a, a very kind of, as globally as everyone knows, it was it's called the Troubles. Yeah you know, a very kind of religious factor. Near the middle of the 90s is probably one of the most intense parts of, of the Troubles. Did you see any of that? Yeah. That it was, was all, Yeah, all it was kind of, you know, I remember I lived in a town, Mackerfeld, and I remember going to school one day and the next day going an entire street not existing anymore. Wow. Yeah. Or being on a bus and being taken off a bus. Or, it was a very complicated moment. But weirdly, through complicated moments, you kind of get used to it, if that makes sense. I think in Ireland, there is a, a kind of thing of like getting on with it. My parents' generation got on with it and it became part of everyday life. Do you think that weirdly something positive came out of it for you? In yeah, no, I, I lived in the countryside. So I think what was interesting is that you kind of really felt like you were on an island. Northern Ireland became incredibly insular yeah um you know you would go to school you'd go through a security check it was quite kind of quite closed in a mm. weird way but within that i think what became really kind of important was you know it was when internet started you know very 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 late on where it used to be kind of like a green screen and you could kind of access certain things or magazines in in kind of like the news agent which yeah. In a weird way, now it's like a dying breed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember being able to pick up things like Dazed, or I remember when the first issue of uh, another magazine came out. Mm. And 
And they were very abstract in terms of what that was. And in a weird way, it was really a very good escapism because you wouldn't be able to go into Belfast and buy luxury goods that didn't exist. So I think there was this kind of like, what I, I think attracted to me was this idea of fantasy through it. I think one of the things that influenced me the most was the Sunday Times style supplement mm-hmm. um, because my parents would buy the Sunday Times and you would that would come with it. And they used to do big roundups. And I remember like one that really, uh, when McQueen did the kind of ice collection, there was like, a huge feature on it. And I think that was something that was just so abstract, do you know what I mean, to kind of see. It was, it was kind of political and, uh, and, and quite aggressive. And it, yeah. it was something that kind of resonated. So that was essentially how you discovered fashion, through, through those? Through magazines. Newspapers, yeah. supplements, yeah. magazines. Primarily newspapers, weirdly. Because, you know, magazines, if you wanted days, you had to order it. If you wanted yeah. ID, you had to order it. Yeah. Um, you could get Vogue, but it was less appealing, I think, for a mm. teenage boy but, <laughs> somehow. I, I see what you mean because obviously those fashion mags weren't necessarily available but newspapers were. So it yeah. was, there was, you could always get hold of those. Yeah. And you kind of did supplements better back then, didn't they? Yeah. You know, it was, and it was, a, it was a bigger thing. And then randomly when it came to actually clothing and this is going to probably sound absolutely ridiculous, the way in which I kind of started to get into clothing um, <laughs> was actually the only way you could actually buy designer clothing was actually in TK Maxx, right? which is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing about that is you could actually buy the cheapest things with the most hard to sell things. So I remember like, I was obsessed by Jean-Paul Gaultier. I remember when I was at school, I took a book that was like a Gaultier book that was in the library randomly. And um, I became completely obsessed by this image of a guy with a bleached hair in a a kind of a leopard Mm. uh, or a zebra print coat. And the first piece of fashion that I really had was a kind of really disgusting pair of leopard print jeans wow. <laughs> by Junior Gautier. Like I wore a Breton sweater and I was probably, when I look back on it and I look yeah. back on pictures of my parents at Christmas, I, I have no idea how I survived walking down a street. Yeah, I was going to say, because obviously growing <laughs> so. up in that kind of environment and, and uh, you know, we all had similar experiences when you discover that world and it, it kind of clashes with, it, you know, you, the world you're in at yeah. the time. And it's a lot different than it is now. I actually think in a weird way, especially in menswear, I think in the 90s, as much as we look back and we think it was kind of liberal, it really wasn't. No. Um, I think it's only recently, the last 13, 14 years, that men have somehow engaged with fashion. Yeah, It's like this kind of revolution, which I think in a weird way was never led in Western culture. It was more like in Asian culture where you saw people really wearing fashion, yeah. do you know what I mean? And I remember the first time when I went to Japan and I was like, kind of, I was like, wow. Yeah, that's was, an eye-opener. It was such an eye-opener. And it was, so, it was so kind of like, there was a different approach, I think, in Asian culture where there is a respect for fashion. There yeah. was a, whereas here, you know, I remember when I did the first menswear show, I remember, the Daily Mail said I was like destroying masculinity. Mm. And, uh, and you took that and you ran with it. And, and I took that and ran with it. I think the first day that happened, I was like, oh my God, this yeah. is it's never going to work. Um, and I'm still going. So yeah. There you go. Just on the on the note of magazines, we talked about that. Do they still play a big role for you, you know, personally as a, as, as a reader, as someone who's, you know, consuming media, you know? 
It's interesting. I went, I think about three, four years ago, I kind of completely rejected printed material. Mm -hmm. I, I think it became kind of like over-referenced. It became kind of, I don't know how to explain it. I think it's because in Luave, I, I reused imagery by Meisel. And for me, that was like the final act. Yeah. You know, I used to be obsessed by collecting books like fashion books, mm. I can barely look at them now. Really? It's a very, it's kind of like a kind of rejection of it. Like I used to be very, I, I'm into art ephemera and things, but when it comes to fashion, I feel like I've had this sort of like OD and rejection mm. of obsessing over nostalgia. That sounds pretty natural or understandable at least, because obviously fashion is in one way or another your life. I mean, that's yeah. what you do, it's 24 seven, I imagine. Yeah. Do you think that, because obviously, you, you know, you, your interest in art is well known. So is that perhaps a sort of a, a natural place to go then, you know, to sort of, I'm tired of looking at fashion, I want to look at art. Yeah. Know, what, what role does our art fill? I think, you know, I think when I was at university, I went through a phase where I was wearing fashion. I worked in a department store and I was obsessed by clothing. I think I wore every look that possibly could have imagined. I used to work at Prada and I used to wear pajamas. So it was going to work and I really kind of explored. And then I think once I started working it, I had like a kind of a rejection to wear clothing myself somehow. I feel it's like cooking a dinner. You, once you cook, it's very hard to eat it. Mm. And the same has nearly happened in in the actual imagery of it. I feel like recently I've become very disenfranchised from fashion imagery. Mm -hmm. I think I, I struggle with it now. I struggle with the idea of the magazine mm. somehow because I feel like it struggled, the magazine struggles to connect with the real world. And, and then when it does... It, it but are they meant to though? Aren't they meant to be you know, temples of, of aspirational fiction and, you know, building this I think world. if they were like that, it would be good. Right, but they but, but they're not. Yeah. I, I feel it's a very odd vortex at the moment yeah. because I feel, like, for example, I'm more intrigued by naive photographers at the moment that are recontextualizing the entire world and then representing it somehow. I think there's something which is sort of interesting there. I think this is quite interesting then, you know, we have this pile of books here in front of us and we yeah. have your picture, our future in front of us. And, you know, this, this is on the back of what you just said. It sounds like a quite natural thing to do then, to sort of invite people from all over the world, photographers, to offer their own interpretation of, yeah. of you and your brand. You know, for me, this project came out of like, I work with both brands with very many different photographers who I adore working with. And what I felt like was that, you know, we, we had started with very young photographers and built imagery with, and then suddenly, when that becomes repetitive, what is the next step, you know? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you cannot force someone to go in a different direction that you don't want to go in. You know, for me, I just was looking uh, at the idea of naive photography that doesn't really care about the reference. Right. You're just going capturing It's just capturing something or being obsessed or like sometimes, you know, there's a lot of photographers out there that I think they've done one good image mm. and they relied on that. So I think it's an interesting moment because I think it's, you know, it's a changing of a generational shift, you know. We have... Do you try and apply that on, on, you know, designing as well? Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I have to reject the idea of fashion to be yeah. able to kind of... But that sounds quite difficult considering that, you know, yeah. you're, you well, by now very established, your own yeah. brand and, and Loewe as well, even more of an of it. I think it is a very difficult tightrope because ultimately I think, first of all, I think I am the first person to get bored. Right. 
I will be bored before anyone else gets bored. I, I, I have an attention span that is incredibly narrow. And I feel like by that kind of process of elimination, you start to realize that if it's not exciting, then there's no point putting it out. Yeah. I, I'm never going to be able to say, well, this season it is going to be about patchwork, and next season it's going to be about a cutout, and this season it's going to be this, and it's going to be a slower evolution. That works for some people. It couldn't work for me because yeah. I just feel like the people that inspire me or the art that inspires me or when I look at different people's lifestyles that inspire me, it is continuously evolving. I think you have to be able to make mistakes. And I think in a weird way, what happened in the last five years is everyone decided they weren't going to make mistakes anymore. Mm. So that's important, making mistakes. You have to. Yeah. And I think you have to get it wrong and you have to kind of bulldoze through the critics. Yeah. Because ultimately it can only make you tougher. What would you say are your biggest mistakes then? You know, the ones that you've turned know. around and went like, oh, this is actually going to progress us. I think, for example, when I look back on some collections, when we dipped into nostalgia too much, I think kind of stagnated me a bit. Mm -hmm. I think um, when we reconfigured men's, I felt like we should probably have stuck where we were. But then through that, you kind of go off course and then you work out what's right. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's many things. There's been campaigns with and I hate. <laughs> and there's the ones I love. But if we hadn't done the ones we hated, you would have never got the ones you loved. So. Yeah. Nostalgia is a, is a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it's driving force for many things. Yeah. It's easy to look back. But yeah. sometimes also you have to do that in order to look forward. Yeah. So it's a balance question. It's a balance question. And I think ultimately the idea of fashion is that fashion has to eat itself all the time anyway. So yeah. I find it very interesting that, especially in the younger demographic, which I find is an interesting kind of social movement, there is an angst out there, which is the idea of who did it first or who didn't. And which I find when I look socially at people, doesn't really match socially. So I don't know, is it an anger or is it something where it is a control thing or is it a knowledge thing? Mm. Because my favorite example in history is the idea of Rembrandt and Titian. You know, they kind of changed art. Mm. <laughs> Fundamentally, both changed art in very different ways. Um, but there was a period, if you go to the Prado, you see identical pictures mm. side by side. The idea that you learn from something is you have to see it first. And I think there is something at the moment where I think we have become over-precious and over-sensitive, which has then prevented us from actually moving forward. You can see that in fashion across the board. People are petrified yeah. of anything. Yeah. Now I think what I hope will happen is that to get somewhere, you have to go through this process, you know what I mean? And in a weird way, we have to kind of liberate a bit more because mm. that is the point. I think what only beneficial thing has happened is we have learned the idea that we have to have respect for culture. Mm. And I think that is the biggest reckoning has happened is mm. that we have to respect one another. But that does not mean that you don't have to take risks. I think this is where I think people have got it wrong. You know, mm. it's sort of like we have ended up trapping ourselves into kind of design, which is a kind of a form of kind of low-grade happiness. I suppose that's where the mistakes you talk about come in and also the idea of constantly sort of challenging and surprising yourself. Yeah. I remember talking to Dries about it and he was, you know, I have to sort of surprise the customer, myself and my team. Yeah season after season just to kind of keep keep at it yeah which i suppose kind of goes also with you know the theme of what we're talking about how do you stay curious because each year there's at least four shows four presentations yeah. and plus everything in between that you have to sort of do as yeah. a creative director of 
two brands. You know, if you look at, in both brands I've started to do this, first of all, you have collections which are like a backbone, product is the backbone. And then you have collaborations or projects or curation or stores. And each of those things have to kind of boil up content, mm. which sometimes doesn't have to be about fashion. Yeah. Because that is not how we consume media anymore. That's not how we consume anymore. So you can't just say, well, we are about a lace dress and that is it. It doesn't work that way anymore. Because people want to know more. You cannot sit and sort of say, well, I, I don't want to do the interview or I don't want to show the process or I don't want to show how you make the bag because I don't want someone to copy it or I don't want someone to know me. The consumer doesn't want that anymore. You know, I read you see yourself more as a curator than a designer. Yeah. And is that perhaps then linked to that you are editing something, not just creating it, but putting editing. together the... I think all designers do that. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, it has changed. It is faster. But just because it's faster doesn't mean it's sort of like not working. It has changed a lot. You started in 2008 yeah. with menswear. Yeah. What would you tell yourself now? That's more than 10 years ago. I would never, ever have expected it to be the way it is right now. No. You know, like, I remember where there was a phase where people were like, well, fashion shows are relevant now, and it's all about video. Mm. And then suddenly, within, like, a year, it was a complete opposite. You know, social media came along, and suddenly it was like... It was more about the filming of the content of the film. You know, it was like, it became like even more complex. Mm. Um, so the show became even more important, which is sort of interesting how yeah. things have changed. Well, we go through these circles, don't we? Because yeah. we talked for so long about, you know, the do we need shows? Yeah. Do we need press days? Do yeah. we need all these things? But they're, they're still here, so clearly they feel a function. I think it's also quite interesting you talk about product because traditionally, generalizing a little bit is more of a sort of a menswear approach, isn't it? Yeah. You know, menswear, we're very product focused. Yeah. Women, it's the whole look type of thing. Yeah. In fact, you started with menswear. Has that had like a, maybe a positive impact on what you do today? When I worked at Prada doing windows, I think I learned this idea of merchandising structure and product, no matter if it's a keyring to a t-shirt. The product had to be amazing. Mm. I think when you hear like the decline of brands, or the decline of the department store, or the decline of things, the only reason these things are declining is they're not working. The products aren't good, or the idea is not good. When the idea is good, it's amazing. Mm. It's in a weird way, it's like probably what's happened in fashion over the years is there's always a flush out. I think we're in the middle of a kind of a very intense flush out. And it's happening not only in fashion, it is happening in art, it is happening in society, it is happening across the board. Mm. I, I think it's a younger generation because of the internet, mm. because of social media, and because of the way we consume media, the difference between my parents' one, my generation and the generation below, mm. the distance is huge. Mm. And we, in a weird way, as a society, globally, we wanted a global market. You know, it used to be a moment where you would do an advertisement in Japan or in China or in South America, and that advertisement would be completely different in the West. Mm. It doesn't happen anymore. It's merging. It's like one image, mm. one viewpoint, which is so positive. I can communicate to anyone in the world yeah. immediately, very, very fast. And I think we sometimes, we reject these things to fundamentally calibrized to where we're at. And I think this is what's happening at the moment. And I think as much as I look at fashion, I look at the entire thing, because I, if I don't look at what's happening in the world, I can't design. I spend more time looking than the design prospect because it will be informed by that research. Yeah. Like I can do collections very quickly 
as long as I understand what's happening. Mm. So that sort of ties in with what I was thinking about when you were talking about concepts and ideas before. I feel like, you know, because look, you work in a luxury market, like luxury is defined by quality. But quality is sort of, I don't know what quality means these days. It's not so much about the quality of the shirt. This is quite similar to other shirt makers. So it's almost the the quality is to do with ideas and concepts. Is that is what defines... You buy the concept now. Yeah. You know, it's like when you go to the coffee shop that does like a special type of coffee and it's filtered in a certain way. Yeah. We became particular in a very abstract way. Yeah. We became more fetishistic about things. So really what you're saying is that your job, even though you run, you know, two successful brands, it's it's less and less about the actual designing. It's more about sort of... For me, it's about the picture. It's about the, the global picture. picture. It's about what do you stand for? Yeah. The minute you look at a brand and you don't know what it stands for, it is very difficult to buy it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And I no, think, of course, because you can always get another shirt. You, know, you, yeah. want, you want to know why. Why the, is that shirt? Yeah. What does it say about you? Yeah. I think, you know, in a weird way, the word has become so powerful. And I think it is, we're going through a phase of it. Mm. But I remember living through the word before of yeah. a brand, wearing the word. <laughs> yeah. I think probably we're going out of that phase slightly. But we have been quite bogged into it recently, where we are doing the most abstract thing possible, which is wearing a random word of a brand on a jumper. Mm. You know, it, it had gone through this, we were in this phase of kind of, a, I am part of this team mm. kind of yeah. moment. It really sets the, the bar, the pressure increases on you to find those messages and, yeah. to, and to sort of stake out your claim or, you know, tell us who you yeah. are and what, where you want to go. Yeah. How, how do you how do you do that? Like, how do you you know find those those messages? I think it's just about finding new obsessions all the time. You have to find things that turn you on. When you do, you have to trust yourself that there are, you are going in the right direction. Mm. You know, you're you have to believe that you're going in the right direction because that is going to form what the silhouette's going to be. And I do believe in the idea of fashion, fashion. You know, I've been talking about recently with friends and it's just like, I think we need the fantasy right now. We need the idea of pushing things because if not, then it will in the end just be product. Yeah. There's been moments where I think we're in this very safe approach of like, we need to sell with the market is difficult and da, da, da. I think with product is like, when people really believe and you do something amazing, there is still excitement for that. Did you see that correlation between, we immediately live in a, quite politically challenging time. Yeah. And the same for you when you grew up with the troubles, etc. Do you think that different, but you know, problematic? Uh, do you think that those sort of situations and happenings around the world, I mean, does that breed creativity? Yes and no. I think we're just starting the beginning of a massive problem globally. In terms of? Of everything. Of everything. Yeah. I think we are going through a part where I think that, you know, in the next show that we're working on is that we're looking at the idea of the fantasy of clothing. Because is it about aesthetics anymore? Is that going to be the future? Is it, is it actually about aesthetics? Because after doing the LVMH Prize and, and being away on holiday, I started to look at things where we are at a period where if we don't act now, the problem is bigger. Mm. Um, We are in a phase of the environment. We're in the phase of, do we consume too much? Yeah. Political, the power of globalization. And what does that mean? And and I feel like 
there is part of me feels like we're entering a very odd moment where we're just at the beginning. Mm. I think it's been boiling yeah. for about yeah. 10 years. Yes. And I feel like we're now entering a period where I think it's going to be about industry and people collaborating, communicating, mm. and supporting an industry. No matter if you work in cars, no matter if you work in fashion or in making paper, whatever it is, I think it's going to be about idea factories coming up in, mm-hmm. in a while, well, where people are trying to work out solutions together as a community. Mm. Because if we don't, the thing will implode anyway. Mm. You know, over the summer, I was watching a thing by David Attenborough, and I was watching it, and it was the first time I had actually, since GCSE geography, actually decided to type in what the world population was. Mm. Uh, and I was quite shocked when you type in when you were born, and then where you are today, yeah. you know, the population has doubled since I was born. Yeah. So we are in a challenging moment. Now, we have been able to send people to the moon. So if we can send people to the moon, I think we can sort out other problems mm. on land. I mean, you, you're painting a quite dark picture, but, but also you sound quite optimistic I'm, as well. I will always be optimistic. I always think, you know, I grew up in a country that I never, ever, ever, ever thought would have got out of it. Yeah. Really? Never. Do you mean, when you, when you see uh, an entire high street being blown to pieces, you start to realize, mm. what is it? But in the end, it worked out. Mm. Do you mean, it's sort of, you know, like to even think that like Game of Thrones was filmed in Northern Ireland is kind of remarkable for me. So it's called progress and it's called working together. Sometimes the most difficult things in life that you never think are going to happen will always happen in the end. Mm. But for me, it is just this moment where we have to start embracing the idea that we all need to want the same thing. We all need to kind of work in that way. In the summer, I kind of thought like, wow, can it get, <laughs> can it get any worse? And it's only the beginning. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing is, ultimately, it will always work out for the best if we realize what the problem is. And right. I think that's why I'm optimistic. I think if you speak to anyone, especially younger people, there is an optimism for change. And I think that's important. And, and I want that in fashion. Mm. I think fashion needs to start working against each other mm. and kind of say, you know, look, we're all part of this ecosystem. Yeah. In a weird way, if there's no competition in it, then it doesn't really work. Yeah. And I think this is where, with climate change and social things, if fashion was to come together, we could solve these things quite quickly. It know? sounds like you, you know, you have a sense of responsibility. Yeah, I, I think more than I have ever thought. Right. When you do own a business and when you do employ people, you do have a responsibility. Mm. I employ 50 people in Britain. Mm. They're my responsibility. Yeah. Um, at Loewe, they employ thousands of people. It is my job to make sure that we do a good product, we can increase employment, and that we have a good ecosystem, mm. and that we have responsibility for what we do. Yeah. We have to take responsibility. And I think that is important now. And in a weird way, sometimes you have to be confronted about it. You have to be curious. Mm. You have to watch as many things as possible to make a viewpoint. Uh, you know, it's like when I wake up in the morning, I don't read one news source. I need to read five. And then I'll make sure that I've cross-checked it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you have to make sure that what you are looking at is real. Yeah. And I think we're in the moment where 
look for the facts. Yeah, so you're essentially saying it's not a skeptical point of view, but it's also questioning. Yeah, question, but ultimately we have to be positive. I know that as we've been talking, it sounds like a negative thing, but ultimately you have to go through bad moments to get good moments. You have to always remember what you don't have or, and have to be lucky with what you do have. And I think this is where we're at, where I think we can come through these sort of moments if we are looking for an end goal. Like, mm -hmm. what is the end goal? And I think it can get there. And I think fashion is going through like a responsibility issue. And I think, yeah. which is which is fantastic. Thank God. Yeah, it's good, it's good <laughs> to be so. asking these questions. Uh, you know, that's, that hasn't really happened before. If we leave that a little bit and, and talk about London. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you're obviously not native, you moved here. Yeah. What role does London play in your creative life, you know, as a source of inspiration? Well, for me, it's like the backdrop. No, I live both in London and Paris, and for me, London is my home. I, I obviously was born in Northern Ireland. I lived until I was nearly 20 there, but I've lived now, you know, I'm coming up to living more time in London. And this is where I see as my home, if we talk about nostalgia, some of the most incredible moments in fashion happened in the last 40 yeah. years. It's not that it was like in the 20s, it happened in the last 40 years. And I think we have an amazing thing about Youth cultural movements have come out. You know, I'm just waiting for the next one. Right. Jimmy. And I think we are heading towards that. What is the next thing? Um, Subcultures, though, are, are, are difficult to find these days, aren't they? Genuine ones. I think because ultimately the subculture then became kind of like a fan base, which like ultimately became a like culture. And mm -hmm. I think we have, we're now in the kind of the vacuum of the likes, like, you know, how many likes do you have on a picture or yeah. how many followers does that make? What is interesting is I'm, I'm looking forward to the moment when people go through and say, well, actually, it doesn't really matter how many followers or how many likes you have. If it's not good, it's not good. <laughs> do you mean? Well, I feel like we're getting there. We're I'm getting there. A little bit in that direction with you know certain news and changes to platforms, right? Yeah. They tend to be going in that direction. But just going back to when you started, like, do you feel like could you have done that anywhere else? I mean, at the time, there was very no. much a push for young menswear, uh, especially. You know, I think I was very lucky in London to start doing fashion when I did it. Mm. Like, I was incredibly lucky when I talk to younger designers now. It is incredibly difficult. Um, I once did an interview, when, and maybe I'm completely wrong about this, but when I started, it was like a moment where you had like Tumblr and you had like, you had YouTube and you had blogs and it was like a whole thing where there actually was no um, advertisement on it. There was no marketing policy on it. There was no yeah. control on it. It was like a kind of new medium. And what was amazing in that moment is that all the big corporations rejected it. They were like, this is never gonna work. It's about the newspaper, it's about the magazine, it's about this. So, in a weird way, the biggest industries, bar your big dot-coms, were kind of away from it. Mm. So for young people, when you were growing a brand, you could talk directly to your age demographic and sell to your age demographic. So I was able to, you know, through Instagram, through all these things, in the very beginning, you could get huge mm. traction quite quickly mm. without me getting permission. I didn't have to say, beg an editor. I didn't have to do all these things. I, had, I could cut out the middleman. Yeah. Now, the algorithm worked against everyone. So yeah. now, in a weird way, this moment has been kind of kiboshed because it's sort of, you have to kind of pay to play. It's, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there was this amazing moment, which I think 
was really good for London. Mm. Because I think when you start a brand, it is incredibly difficult to turn a profit. Because if you want to stick to your ethos, yeah. um, you have to be able to wait it out. It takes time. You know, when I was working at Prada, I remember what Mama Lepafesi saying to me, like, if it happens overnight, don't expect it to last long. <laughs> like, um, and it's true. How many times in the last 10 years have you thought like, oh my, this is it, you know? Like, oh, like probably every year. <laughs> I still think that. I still sometimes think, is this it? Yeah. But that, and that's, that's an e <laughs> easy way then to lead it back to this idea of being curious and excited as well. You know, like what makes you tick when you wake up in the morning, you know, when you, before you start looking at your emails and messages, you know, what is that thing that you burn for? And I wake do? up every morning and I kind of like, I, I just want to be surprised. I want to see something I've never seen. Mm. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be doing it. I, I think this, like... I'm obsessed. I've been to an art gallery this morning. I've come back into a meeting. I've done Uniqlo, and then I've done a fitting, and then I've done a thing, and then I'm here with you. And, and then I go to the v and thing, and then I'm having a dinner, and then I go to a, a thing. By the time you're finished, there has to be something you've found in that day. Yeah. And, and for me, that is what I enjoy. I enjoy the idea of being busy. I enjoy work. I feel incredibly lucky and fortunate that I get up in the morning, and this is what I do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's sort of... Yeah. The, the, you can never forget that. No. The V&A thing, uh, you're on, on the board. Yeah. And you're heading there after this, actually. Yes. It sounds, it feels like that very much makes sense for, you know, who you are and what you do and what you like. Yeah. Right? Well, I think it's something that kind of, I was very honoured when they approached, you know, because in Britain it's obviously a government role. You know, the V&A for me is like, I used to go at university, I go to the top floor, I collect ceramics. It was... You know, when you go up there, there's no one there and you're walking around, like, the, you can tell the history of the world in ceramics. And to be able to be asked to help mm. with probably one of the most important institutions in the world, for me, is fantastic. Sometimes when you are doing fashion and you can be sucked into it, there is parts of your job that you do need to escape where sometimes it can be a very selfish thing. And you... And, and to keep yourself grounded, you need to have the reality, yeah. which is, you know, when I did the the show at the Wakefield, Hepworth Wakefield, what I found so surprising is how little people go to museums. <laughs> like, that was shocking to me, because I thought everyone has been to museums. Right. Um, not, not the case. But that is not the case. When you go to v &A as a visitor, where do you go? What's your favorite floor or, you know, experience at the V&A? I always like, for example, the iron section, which is like iron gates, like things that you would see on the street, but they're put on a white wall and they become something else. Mm. I mean, or there's something in that area that I really, I think it's because it's black and white. <laughs> it's very graphic. <laughs> More than 10 years into his career, and as the creative head of two successful brands, how does Jonathan Anderson stay curious? It seems his introduction to fashion, those glossy subcultural fashion mags of the 90s, have had to make way for a more naive approach to fashion photography, one that isn't afraid of making mistakes and learning from them. And the same goes for his own design process. Stagnation is dangerous, he says. Always move forward. Ask yourself, what you stand for, who are you as a person and as a brand, and as an extension, what is your product all about? There is no doubt that the political chaos of his native Northern Ireland in the 90s and the uncertain Brexit landscape of today has shaped Jonathan and his worldview. Though of course those were exceptionally adverse circumstances, Jonathan seems to have been able to turn those negatives into positives. 
The consumption of media and news are an everyday part of his creative life. But don't just read one paper, he points out. Get your facts from five different sources. But the main takeaway from this conversation, I suppose, is his constant desire to be surprised. Think back to your own busy daily schedule of meeting people and looking at different objects. Surely there must be one beautiful thing you've seen or one interesting person you've spoken to that excites you and inspires you. That, according to Jonathan Anderson, is how to stay curious. Thanks for listening. If you're curious about our next guest, stay tuned. So I sent my resume to a bunch of fashion companies. An assistant at Marc Jacobs had been asked to alphabetize all the resumes. And Altuzara was at the top. Ah, uh, lucky. And that's sort of how I started my career. All of my training came from working in the wow. industry. Wow.